You're listening to OEA Grow, a member-led production of the Oregon Education Association and a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. OEA Grow is by members for members. In Season 5, members discuss behavior with Alexis Hennessy. Hey there, thanks for joining us this week. Um, This episode, I have Ashley East, who is a kinder and first grade teacher with David Douglas School District. So um, Ashley, can you explain a little bit about that and maybe tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, I am Ashley East. This year, I am teaching first grade in the David Douglas School District. Um, And every year, I loop kindergarten to first grade. So what that means is I start with my students in kindergarten. I teach them for that school year. And then they go right with me the next year to first grade. So I have them for two years. And then I do it all over again. And this is my 10th year doing that. Um, We love it at my school. Um, All of the K-1 teachers, we don't want to stop looping. We love having our kids for two years. We love the relationships that we build. And it's great. That's so interesting. Um, I Just a super nosy question. So do you change rooms? Like, do you redesign your room when they're going into first grade? Do you keep everything the same? Tell me a little bit about that classroom setup piece. That's such an interesting uh, dynamic. Yeah, we keep the same classroom, which is nice for teachers so that we don't have to reset (laughs) things up. That would be a lot. (laughs) But the kids do like to see a little bit of change for first grade. Um, So usually we'll do things like in kindergarten, we use community supplies. But in first Mm -hmm. grade, you get your own pencil box with all your own things to take care of. Um, Just little things like that in the classroom. But most systems and routines stay consistent from kindergarten because they get really good at them in first grade. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. I, you know, Mm -hmm. conceptualizing that as someone who puts a behavioral lens on things, it's two years of practicing the same types of skills kind of with the same expectations, even if they're bumped up a little bit for first grade, it's like the routines are the same, the supports are the same, the structures are the same. Um, I imagine that's a huge benefit in regards to kind of building and growth, but I imagine as they get towards second grade, then is second grade a little bit of a culture shock for them? How does that, you know, what is that like as a second grade teacher receiving these kids who have had the same teacher and the same classmates for two years? Is that hard for the kids? Yes. Yes. I think that is one challenge of looping is towards the end of first grade. Some kids do have a little bit of anxiety because they've been with Mm -hmm. the same teacher for their first two years of school. And all of a sudden it's a little scary to have to go on to a new teacher. Um, We hear that from a lot of parents, but but um, yeah. most kids are pretty probably scary for the and, parents too. Yes. <laughs> They've had yes. the same person mm-hmm. for two years. <laughs> exactly. But most kids, they're fine. Once they start second grade, all is well. Oh, so cool. Okay. So, you know, I'm thinking about that dynamic and I'm thinking you get these kinders who have maybe never had school experience before, maybe had some preschool, maybe had some daycare, you know, but they come to us kind of from varying places. And then you get to coach them through kindergarten skills, um, entering school, how to, you know, quote, do school, and then you get them back in first grade to kind of grow them even further. I'm wondering a little bit about, you know, what does that look like in regards to social emotional growth? What's your favorite kind of growth piece that you see in those kids over the course of two years? And then what's something you really pay a lot of attention to as you're watching your kids grow? 
Yeah, it, it is really interesting to see the whole two years as a whole span. Um, as a kindergarten teacher, the beginning of kindergarten is hard. Mm. We get such a range of kids coming in, like you said, kids who have never been to school before or kids who have been in daycare or preschool and kids who have different skills with having been with other kids before, kids who haven't. Sure. Um, kids who haven't been through the school system yet who maybe aren't identified yet for having, you know, special education needs or behavioral needs. So mm -hmm. the beginning of kindergarten is really figuring those things out and really figuring out how to support kids in their behavior, how to help them to self-regulate in the classroom. So there's a lot of teaching and reteaching of expectations in the beginning of kindergarten from yeah. the littlest things. How do I hold a pencil? How do I put my pencil back? How do I stand? Sure up and push in my chair? How do I walk to the rug? But then as we have them into first grade and we start the, the second year in first grade, they mm -hmm. know all those things. It's so amazing. We can just start the year with just a little refresh of expectations and then yeah. they're ready to roll. And we, we just, we have an awesome start of the year because they're already set up with all of yeah. those expectations and routines. That's so cool. Um, so I'm wondering what are some what are some like pillars you look for then? So you you know you have these kids for two years going in, barring, you know, a move or this or that, right? So there's always those outlier situations. But what are some of the ways I, I guess what I'm trying to ask is what are some of the ways you measure kind of that social emotional growth or with mm -hmm. kiddos who maybe are presenting with some kind of behavior hurdles in your classroom? Mm -hmm. What are ways that you're explicitly teaching and looking for that growth over time with them. Tell me a little bit about kind of how does that, that work with you in your gen ed classroom? And also um, I imagine you don't just have general education students. You probably have a couple of kiddos who get identified each year, maybe referred for identification or mm -hmm. put into kind of a tiered intervention. What does that look like when you know you have these kids for two years? Yeah, I think at the beginning of kindergarten, really, we're working on those whole group systems, you know, mm -hmm. teaching kids the expectations of the school, the expectations of the classroom, really, sure. you know, using those uh, whole school systems. Like at our school, we pass out vouchers to everyone mm -hmm. um, or whatever our classroom systems are for management. In my classroom, I have a behavior scale. So all of my students sure. are self-assessing throughout the day. So using those for all students, but then as the year progresses in kindergarten, kind of identifying kids who maybe those things aren't quite working for and starting sure. some different things for them, you know, maybe having some individual kids on some daily check-in sheets where they're earning breaks or rewards for following yeah. expectations, maybe spending extra time with certain kids on social stories, training them a little bit more on how to use the things in the classroom, like the calming corner mm. or asking for a break with an, you know, going on a walk with an adult. Um, and it is interesting then when we start first grade and kind of yeah. sometimes taking a pause on some of those interventions with kids and yeah. seeing, okay, we're back in first grade now. Are we able to kind of just use the whole group systems now? Or do we still need to have some more of those like yellow zone yeah. supports? Um, it's like a nice little probe I, test, just kind of saying yeah. like, okay, did we learn these skills and now we mm -hmm. have them as skills or do we still need direct intervention and teaching? Yeah. And it is handy having the kids two years because I, I have those things in my pocket that I might have used mm -hmm. with them in kindergarten that I know, hey, this worked in kindergarten. We might yeah. not need it at the start of first grade, but I've got it as a tool in my toolkit that if this kid is starts exhibiting these behaviors that they did in kindergarten, yeah. I might pull that thing back out and try it again yeah. in first grade. 
You know, that's a really interesting point of conversation, which is I think that that gets lost a little bit in the continual handoff between gen ed teachers from year to year, right? And so that ability to say, okay, well, I'm just going to put that thing in place that worked last year right away as soon as I see the first signs that it's not working. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on maybe how we can do that better as a system, right? You have this very unique experience being that you pass your kids to yourself, right? So like you said, Mm -hmm. you do have those things in your back pocket ready to go at any moment. What are your thoughts on how we can do a better job? And this may be something you do at your school pretty well because of this looping um, Mm -hmm. system or maybe just because of other supports, but how can we maybe do a better job of passing off those skills and tools and interventions from year to year amongst kind of our gen ed colleagues? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's where our behavior specialist comes into play. It's such an important role in our schools. All of our schools mm-hmm. in our district have a behavior specialist. Um, so those kids in my classroom that might be receiving like some interventions that maybe are teacher implemented interventions or ones mm-hmm. that I'm getting support from the behavior specialist. Usually those are kids that the behavior specialist has on their radar. So they're okay. aware like this kid uses these supports. So that yeah. person I think is the person who, when I pass those kids off to second grade, then that behavior specialist is the one who would go into the second grade teacher and say, hey, last year in first grade, Mrs. East used this, which really seemed to help support this student with those certain behaviors. What about, uh, do you think for our counterparts who maybe don't have a behavior specialist in their building, Mm -hmm. maybe our our friends, um, you know, clearly I've gone into elementary school uh, (laughs) mode here. What about our colleagues who are maybe in some of our districts that are a little smaller or share yeah. people like that. Do you have a really good documentation system? How do you document the types of interventions you're using or mm-hmm. trialing with your kids? Um, I think that that's something that is, is sometimes hard to document, right? It's like yeah. without a formal behavior plan, sometimes it gets exactly. a little lost in the shuffle maybe. Mm-hmm. I think so. And I think that's where it gets tricky because it can be more teacher to teacher. You know, mm-hmm. if there's not a formal IEP in place or something, you know, like a formal behavior mm-hmm. plan, then it really kind of is, you know, based on how much extra work the teacher wants to put in to helping to support that kid. So I think that can be tricky for teachers yeah. who don't have that extra support. Um, you know, maybe coming up with some sort of a documentation system where, you know, at the end of the year, when we divvy out the students to move on to second grade, we -hmm. fill out a document that then gets passed on to the second grade teachers. Like here's kind of generally where this student is academically. Here's kind of generally where they are behaviorally. So maybe adding on a note section there that gets passed on to the second grade teacher. Like here are some things that work for that student could be helpful. I think it's, uh, those are great ideas. And I think that that's really an area that we as educators maybe need to within ourselves, refine our practice on how is best to pass this information. Because I do feel like, um, you know, particularly in having this conversation with you about the benefits of looping that this is, it's almost like we have to start over every year sometimes if it's not a really well-versed or well-known system. And particularly for some of our our greener teachers, just our younger mm-hmm. teachers who are really just trying to, to get up and going, right? Um, I know you said you've been doing this for 10 years, but Um, man, do I not miss those first handful of years of teaching where it was like every bit of everything was new and every group of kids was like learning again how to be a teacher, right? So um, what are some of your favorite, favorite just kind of general supports? Obviously, we're not going to share student information, but what are some Mm -hmm. of the things you as a kinder first grade teacher have Mm -hmm. seen just really useful in your classroom, either in regards to Mm -hmm. social emotional instruction or some supports mm-hmm. you've used, some some skill building approaches. Tell me about kind of your favorites, your go-to. 
Yeah. Um, well, one thing that I feel like our district does really well is offer EKT in the summer. That's early kindergarten transition. Oh, interesting. Um, I often do teach that um, the year prior to teaching kindergarten as just a little mm-hmm. way to have a, a small class of students c- who are about to come into kindergarten um, mm-hmm. and really having a couple of weeks to kind of pre-teach them school expectations. And, and is that um, for just, all incoming kindergartners or is that a hand-selected uh, It's not group? for everyone. Um, people okay. can apply. I think uh, it's kind of goes okay. to... Um, uh, first choices for students who have never attended preschool before. So it's okay. kind of like a no school a pre- experience kind of. Yeah, no school experience or okay. students who are coming in um, on IEPs or other, sure, like other early support childhood plans. Transition yeah. plan. Okay, yeah. cool. So I love great. that. I think that's a great thing. And it kind of gives us just a little idea of who's coming in and kind of yeah. to pre think about any behavior things that we might want to set up a couple when of weeks in between starts. to plan yeah. for their supports. That's really really cool. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yes. Um, other things that are super helpful in K-1, uh, we use calming corners in all of our classrooms okay. at our school. Sure. Uh, we find those to be super helpful places to offer students to go just as a place to refocus, uh, self-regulate, mm-hmm. take just a little refocus break. Um, we train them on the routine of, you know, mm-hmm. how do you ask to go to the calming corner? What do you do when you're in the calming corner? How do yeah. you know when it's time to come out of the calming corner? How do you rejoin the class? so that they know the expectations. Interesting. And uh, are those things like whole group lessons on a breathing technique or a whole group lesson? That's great. I love that you're doing kind of that whole group instruction and individual practice. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, then doing other things in the classroom for individual behavior. I mentioned earlier that mm-hmm. I use a behavior scale in the classroom where my students self-assess throughout the day. How are you yeah. meeting our expectations? Are you earning a one, two, three, or a four? A four is that you're exceeding expectations. You didn't need sure. reminders to do those things. Um, my kids just Throughout the day, I have them hold up their fingers. What do you think you earned? Yeah. And we communicate with that that with families at the end of every day. I think that school-to-home communication mm-hmm. about students' behavior at school is really important yeah. to hold them accountable, let yeah. parents know how they're doing. How do you help kids understand, you know, kids who are, who are maybe the ones and twos who need those extra mm-hmm. reminders? How do you build in or in what way do you then help them to learn how to recognize those things in themselves or what ways do you kind of directly intervene then with those kids who either you're noticing are ones or twos or maybe the kid who's self-rating themselves as a one or two but maybe isn't right because we have those kids on either end the kids that do need a lot of prompting yes and then the kids that kind of show with that self-doubt or lack of confidence that also is a is a concern that we want to address how do you then respond when you're noticing kind of those kids floating in one or two all the time or the really overly yeah. confident kid who gives himself a four all the time and you're like oh yes oh yes hundred percent. Yeah, that can be really tricky. But um, those are kind of clues to me if students are really earning ones or twos, you know, frequently throughout the day, that they need something different than what I'm providing to the whole class. You know, those things aren't um, motivating them enough. Those things maybe aren't, you know, what they want to be working for. Um, So kind of taking a step back as a teacher and thinking about how can I support them during that time of their day? Or if I'm noticing like, hey, a lot of my students are really struggling every day during math time. Most people are earning twos. They're not really following expectations. 
thinking, is there something that I'm doing in the classroom that I could maybe reteach the expectation so that Mm -hmm. they know it a little bit better? Or maybe we need to redo some sort of a routine. So it's kind of a, a... you know, self-assessment for them, but also for me too, so that I, I can love think to about, hear that. <laughs> yeah, what do I maybe need to work on or didn't do a good enough job of teaching them the expectation of? I love that your first question, you know, as, as you were talking about that, I was thinking like, wow, it's so cool that her first question is about like, what am I bringing to the table? And then I love that you really just, just announce that. Right. I think that that's sometimes so hard to do as an educator is to like mm-hmm. own that piece of what am I as the adult doing that is impacting yes. this situation. Um, mm-hmm. And we tend to go very quickly to what the kid is not doing. Right. And I get that that's a, that's just a default mentality around the systems that we have here in education and, and in the United States. Right. But um, it's a dynamic teaching is a dynamic behavior is a dynamic, mm-hmm. right? It's between people. Um, it's an interpersonal relationship. And so I love that your first reflection was not only like what's happening for the kid, but also what am mm-hmm. I doing? Is it, am I not doing this transition? Well, am I not building it into my system? So um, that's a beautiful thing to hear you bring, bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So then my question, I guess, comes towards what explicit teaching are you using any curriculums you like or do you fold it into your academics throughout the day what have you found in your 10 years of doing this to be the most successful with this population of kiddos is it really Mm -hmm. explicit social emotional teaching or are there pockets of things you weave into your academics Mm -hmm. yeah I think there's two things um the first would be yes we do have a a social emotional curriculum in our district Mm -hmm. uh, that we use to teach students self-regulation um which is very helpful we teach that to all students in our school um we love that but then the other piece um is not so much a curriculum and that's teaching the explicit expectations and routines of everything you do in the classroom as a teacher starting on day one and I feel like I find myself you know at the beginning of every school year, my lesson plans are like minute by minute and they are so detailed on, you know, these two minutes, I am teaching them this. They just finished doing their morning tubs in the morning. So at this time, I'm going to teach them the routine of I jingle the tambourine. They stop, they look, they listen for expectations in my plans. It says, I'm going to teach them my call and response class. Yes. At this time. So really taking the time as a teacher, especially at the beginning of the year, to really write out every single expectation that I need to teach them, every routine I need to teach them, and then the review of it for weeks in the beginning of the school year. And then doing that again after winter break and again after spring break, all of those times. um, It's it's really worked for me and been really helpful to me as a teacher to write it out and plan for it. I think that that is a key for so many educators who are trying to figure out what does it look like to support routines and rituals and processes. It's, it can't be accidental teaching. It really has mm-hmm. to be very planful and really looking at, you know, what in the behavior world we would call a task analysis. What is the first step? What is the second step? What is the third step? And not just kind of in adult terms, like, well, I jingle the right. tambourine and then they should do this, but really explicitly, mm-hmm. like, what am I doing as a learner in that dynamic? It's, well, I'm listening for this sound. Yes. And if I'm someone who has a hard time, you know, when I'm hyper-focused on my work that I'm supposed to be doing, if I'm someone who has a hard time stopping, if I'm not yeah. done with my assignment, or if I'm still working on writing the answer and the expectation is that 
the tambourine jingled, I'm supposed to stop and look. What do Mm -hmm. I do with that moment as a kid? Right? Like, I really want to finish this math problem or this spelling word or this picture that I'm doing. But the teacher jingled this jamboree that tells me I'm supposed to stop and look. Like, what do you teach your kids explicitly about that? Like, oh, if you're in that moment of in-betweenness that often feels bad or not so good. Yeah, um, I think, you know, as I've grown over the last 10 years, my expectation as a a new teacher was I jingle the tambourine, you stop, you look right then. But now (laughs) I'm kind of at the point where I'm recognizing myself as an adult learner, how I don't like that. I don't like that when I'm in a meeting, and I'm talking to the person next to me. And you know, the the person asks for my attention back, but I'm not done with my conversation. I don't really like not having that closure. So what Mm. I've started doing as a teacher is teaching them that I'm going to jingle the tambourine. I'm going to ask for your attention, but I'm going to count down five, Mm. four, three, two, one, zero. So it gives you just a few more seconds to wrap up your conversation or what you were doing. Um, And I I hope that that feels a little bit better to students because I've noticed for myself as a learner that that feels a little bit better to me. I think having those really realistic applications of those transitions is so crucial to them being effective. And I think sometimes mm-hmm. that's where we as, as a whole, as educators, um, sometimes get it wrong, right? Where we think it does sometimes need to be that super controlled, hard stop, voices off, silence, I can hear a pin drop, yes. right? And and I love that you're, you know, particularly as you grow into working with these learners again and again, that you've evolved your practice that little bit more. It's kind of that when we know better, we do better, right? We, we mm-hmm. step it up just a little bit. That doesn't mean your practice was wrong or bad, right. but that it's like grown with your evolution of learners. And I, I love mm-hmm. to hear that you're being kind of sensitive and empathetic to, you know, how would this feel for me as an adult, right? We want to treat, yes, they are tiny humans and yes, they are young and yes, they need extra hand holding or guidance. But if someone did this to me, how would I feel? Um, And I think that's such a great question to leave our listeners with is, you know, as we're supporting our learners in growing emotionally, socially, problem solving, regulation wise, how would this skill I'm explicitly teaching the kid feel to me if someone asked me to do it as an adult or if someone asked me to do it that way. Um, and I love that reframe for our listeners. Is there anything that we haven't touched on uh, that you just would love to to leave here at the podcast for our listeners that we didn't get to in this conversation? I don't think so. I think we touched on a lot. It was great talking to you about my classroom. Oh, it was so phenomenal having you. I so appreciate um, this very interesting dynamic of that K-1 loop. I love what it brings to the table. I love hearing about EKT, that early kindergarten mm-hmm. transition. Um, I hope that there are some listeners out there that, that take some of those ideas. And even if they don't have kind of that program, think about maybe ways they can fit it into the first couple weeks of their school year. Um, thank you so much for sharing your time with us. And I'm going to leave our listeners uh, the same way I do every week, which is um, please remember that you cannot bring your best to our learners and to your colleagues unless you are first taking care of yourself. Please make sure to take care of yourself, to relax, to refresh, to regroup so that you can be your best for the kiddos that you serve each day. Thank you so much, Ashley. It's been such a pleasure. I appreciate your time. Thank you. For more OEA professional learning opportunities, visit our webpage at grow.oregoned.org.